0: okay good evening everybody nice to see you um okay so um thanks thanks um it's like i'm like easing myself back into america um it was actually a bashed, i think that i that we were planning to be away um this past Shabbos, that was for months already we were planning to be away that Shabbos. And I was a little bit, first a little bit frustrated because I wanted to be able to like, talk in shul about what I experienced on Shabbos uh, that week before. And then what I experienced that week was so hard and so unlike anything I've ever experienced in Israel in my entire life. I don't know if I could have actually, like, I hadn't processed at all. Mm-hmm. I'm still processing it. Um, yeah, sure. So it gave me a little time to, to do this. And then we'll talk a little bit on Shabbos again. I will will talk about it on Shabbos, but um, it was a lot. I'll tell you, you, we saw a lot of things um, during those few days. Can someone close this door? Actually, Daniel's coming through. Um, We saw a lot um, of different things, uh, very inspiring, as you saw in a lot of the updates I sent. Like Very inspiring things, amazing soldiers in the hospital, amazing soldiers at a barbecue, amazing people heroic people who fought off terrorists by themselves like just wild, amazingly special things and we saw a lot of very, very low hard um, difficult things. I would say I felt more low than high to be honest um, which makes sense, I think. That's what's happening right now there's a lot of be- beauty in what's going on in Eritrea right now. There's a lot of hard that's going on in Eritrea right now. But I'll tell you the absolute hardest thing that I experienced during this entire trip, I would say hardest in the sense that it was the hardest for me to talk about Um, afterwards was we went on the the, my second day in israel we went to tel aviv to the bring them home now um headquarters and they give us a a nice a nice uh tour sort of not that much but a little bit of a tour of what's going on there and a little bit of a description this guy who's a former ambassador to multiple countries and worked in dc he described to us what they're doing there all these volunteers now um all, all civilians um, running this entity. Um, but the thing that was most impactful was that while we were there, we just would bump into families. Um, and so I wrote about two or three of the people that we met and how they described you know, their sons. It's three people whose sons are still in Gaza right now. Um, and by far... That was the hardest thing. To, when I came home that night, and I, and I, would, like, I called I Chani called at one point, just to talk about the day, and I couldn't, I started to tell the stories, and I, and I couldn't tell them. It was so sad. I was starting to cry as I was telling the stories. And the same thing happened, happened when I was telling my brother, I was staying at my brother's house, and I couldn't describe it to him. Um, because it was, I think, with most tragedies, the tragedy occurs, somebody, Rahman Latzlan, dies, and then... As painful and terrible as it is, it's in, in, to some extent, every person in their own experience starts to move forward in some way. Right, the farther you are away from that moment, the I'm not going to speak for people easier, but the the way people start to manage the experience. Um, when it comes to the hostages, every day subsequent day after October seventh is more painful, and more difficult, and more distress. Um, I think I wrote that I we met a woman whose son uh, was being held and uh, he was at the festival and he was helping the DJ and he called her at 10 to 8 the thing started at 6.27 was what, that was in the, the time that we got we're talking about the whole, the whole time the day, 6.27 a.m. and at uh, 7.50 he called her like I'm okay I'm just helping a couple people and I'm gonna, I'll be home I'm coming home and he didn't come home <coughs> And it was day, this was day 51, you know, every day on like Times of visual, whatever, it tells you what day of the war is. So it was day 51. So she said, for 50 days I didn't leave my house. Mayor wrote this in the thing. Um, and he said, we, so someone asked her, why, why didn't you leave your house? And she said, because my son was in Chevy, he was captive, so I was in Chevy, so I was captive too. So he said, okay, so then why did you leave today? She said, well, they started to release some hostages, so I felt a little, a little bit of hope. Um, so, these, these people are in, you know, I just, I, it's a type of pain that it, you can't describe, and you can't, I, mean, I can't describe it either because I'm not experiencing it. But uh, it, it, it behooves us to, to have a conversation about what do we do? And this, this neg- and it's so fascinating also because while I was there, it was during the ceasefire, and they're in the middle of these negotiations, and they're releasing people, and they're, they're we're in this square, this like hostage square place, you know, in Tel Aviv, and they're standing by the screen, and they're supposed to be like announcing people. It was like wild, you know? Um, and everyone has, a, has an idea and a thought and what's better, what's not better. They're very strong in the, bringing them home now. They said, we're not political. We don't make decisions. We just push as hard as we can for release of hostages. We don't make political decisions. We don't tell government what to do. I mean, now it sounds like they are doing that more, as you hear from the other day, not meeting Netanyahu. But, um, but it's, very, very, it's very painful. So what do we do as Jews when we deal with, find ourselves in a painful, difficult experience, we ask ourselves, what does Allah say? What does the Torah say about such a, such a question? People who are in this tremendous pain, these people are, are finding out more and more and more terrible things that are happening to the people who are being held hostage. So how do we, how, what do we do? What do we do as, uh, as people? Not that the government's necessarily asking, posting them the question. And by the way, of course, we're not going to give like some final answer to this question. It's too big a question to have the answer. But perspectives. We'll give perspectives on this on this question. So let's take a look right from the beginning. Um, source number one. Source number one is a Rambam, Hilchos Manos aniyem. And The Rambam writes as follows, Pidyon Shfuyim, right, the idea of redeeming captives is a very, very important thing. Uh, we spoke a little bit on the way to the rally about some of the stories of Rav Chaim Brisker and others, how they would, you know, violating Yom Kippur in order to, 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 to release captives. Pidyon Kodim l'ch- l'ch- It is the mitzvah of redeeming captives comes before any other tzedakah? Why? There is no mitzvah as great as redeeming captives. Why? A person who's a shavoi, a person who's a hostage, is a hungry person and a thirsty person and a person who doesn't have clothing. Right? Meaning, all the different types of chesed you could do for people, right? They are all done for this person. They all—they're all, all necessary. Because this person has none of those things, and it is the person's life is in danger, so there's no greater mitzvah than than saving this person from this terrible situation. And let's say a person says, "Ah, not my problem," and I look the other way. So there is many, many yisurim that you violate if you ignore the plight of hostages. Right, that you are holding back your heart from a poor person. Right? you are holding your hand back from giving to them. You are <laughs> You are standing by Adli while the da- by the blood of another person is being spilled. This is uh, and lo yadenu beferach means you shouldn't you shouldn't you know uh, treat slaves too harshly. But the point being, you are allowing this person to be treated in a harsh manner. Fine. So clearly says the Rambam it's an important mitzvah right there's no question of how important it is to work towards the release of hostages is an extraordinarily extraordinarily important mitzvah nonetheless Chazal give us boundaries within which we operate when we're dealing with redeeming hostages redeeming captives look at source number 2 the gomaron and andaf mem hey amrad the english is below it as well says the Mishnah, When you want to redeem captives in the old days, people kidnapped people, what were they doing it for? They are doing it for ransom. They still do it today sometimes. Right? They would kidnap people for ransom. So, and if you're kidnapping someone for ransom, so the way you get them back is by paying the ransom. You pay the money. Right? So, however, says the Mishnah, when you are going ahead to ransom someone who's been kidnapped, you are not allowed to pay more money than they are worth. How do you determine worth? Great question. What's the value of a person? Okay, so that's a good question. There's different ways of determining that. But whatever the, you know, whether that's determined by how much you would pay for a slave or whatever it is that you would, whatever the, you know, the, the market value is for human trafficking. There's probably human value, uh, market value today even for human trafficking, unfortunately. Um, whatever that is, you don't pay more than that. Okay? And why is that? Because of tikkun ha'olam. So tikkun ha'olam, in the Chazal does not mean like, you know, like kumbaya. Tikkun Olam means something very specific, right? It means some Tikkun Olam means there's something sociologically, right, harmful, right? But when you redeem captives for more money than they are really worth, right? I don't. I'm just using quotations. Uh, worth, no one's worth. There's no worth value for a person, right? But you don't, You know what I'm saying? But why is? Because there's something that's going to happen if we do that. That's going to be maybe potentially even worse. Says the Gemara, <inaudible> What does that mean, olam? So the Gemara is going to present two possibilities. We need another sheet, there's more sheets over here. Um, <inaudible> is it because, if we continue to redeem captives, what's going to happen? Uh, or we, sorry, redeem captives for so much money, what's going to happen? There won't be any money left. You're going to need to pay for uh, the mikvah and the eruv, and yeshivas and if you're spending so much money millions and millions of dollars to redeem captives you're not going to have money left for the community is that why? or right, so you can't pay more than their value because it's going to be an overwhelming financial burden maybe because when you redeem a captive when you're willing to pay the ransom so what do the bad guys do? they do it, they do it more they do it more right? Hamas saw that the Shalit was worth A 1,000 prisoners, including Yahya Sinwar, right? So they saw that, and they said, great, what was one of their main objectives? Kidnap as many people as you possibly can, because that's the most valuable thing there is for them. That's the reason why they're even willing to keep them alive, right? Because more valuable than a Jew that they kill is a Jew that they can kidnap and trade, right? So maybe the reason why you can't pay more then the value, again, they're not talking, they're talking probably in a time, and we'll see, when there was much more of a financial uh, incentive for these people. This isn't, they're not anti Semitic, just want to kill Jews. These are people who want, who kidnap people because they want to get money for it, right? But the point being is, if they get paid a lot, they say, great, we'll do it again. Okay, so which one is it? So Toshima. So I want to bring you a uh, proof from one story. The levi bar there's a person in levi bar Pirka Lebar-Sei Alfe Di Narizov, his daughter was taken captive and he redeemed her for 13,000 gold coins. My assumption is that's a lot. 13,000 gold coins is a lot of money. More than the typical person would go for on the market. Okay. So, what, so if that's true, levi bar is a is a... Is a uh, individual person. He didn't go fundraise from the community for it. He did it himself with his own money. Right? And if he did that, that was okay. So what do you see? Oh, so if the concern is that if you pay the money, more and more people are going to, you're going to kidnap more people, then it seems to be that he wasn't worried about that. Right? What was the concern maybe? That it's going to be too much of a financial burden on the community. But if he pays for his own money, right? so that's not a problem. That's what it sounds like. So maybe you see a proof that the issue really is that you shouldn't be a burden on the community financially. Right? So that's why Lady Barger was able to do this. So, I'm rabbi, eh? Not so fast. Did he ask a shayla? He just did it. <coughs> the fact that he did it is not a proof. If he did it and the Chazal were okay with it and they passed it and it was okay, that would be a proof. But we don't know that. He's an individual. He did something. The fact that he did something is not a proof. So, there's no proof either way. And the Gemara seems to be left with this um, stalemate. Which one is it? Are we concerned for the financial constraints of the community or are we concerned for? The fact that they're going to do it more and more. So the Rambam uh, starts a process, though, of giving us a little more reasoning. It says the Rambam, olam." You're not allowed to redeem captives for more than their value. Why? We don't want the, the the enemies to do this more and more. So the Rambam assumes that I guess the rejection of labor by says to him, no, so it's, that side's not correct. And maybe the assumption being that it's much more about whether they're going to continue to do so. By the way, you could make the argument that even either way, they're kind of, it's kind of the same. I mean, if, if, they're, if it's a big financial burden, right? so then they're also going to want to do it. Meaning, if it's considered a big financial burden, they, you're also, the same thing's going to happen. Both will happen. Right? Um, but nevertheless, he wants to argue it's because we're nervous they're going to do it more. Okay? And the Shulchan Aruch in source number four quotes the same reasoning, right? Um, the concern that, the, that redeeming captives for more than their value is going to encourage terrorists to kidnap people more and more. Fine. Really? Yes. If you want to stop it altogether, I would just say don't ransom people at all. At all. Right. That's good. So the, so the Khazad didn't say that. Just they can't do it to an so extreme so extent. Right, but they don't. But I guess the point being that if you're able to get to, to pay some money, but not too much, there was a there, it was there was an assumption there that that wouldn't that wouldn't burden the community too much, and that presumably it wouldn't it wasn't going to lead to more and more and more happening, right? Presumably, okay. If you're just going to pay the market value, so that's it's a, a small amount. It's not going to be that big a deal, and it's not as worth it for them. So it's not really going to be if you can get it in a in a you know fair market value. Presumably, in that society, it didn't bother them. Then, then why would they do it in the first place? Right. They're getting they're getting some money. Some they're getting, getting some money. There's some incentive. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess the argument that you can never redeem captives ever was something that goes a little too far. Well, the other thing because it's still a k'uach <laughs> nefesh, right? So how far are you going to go here? It has to be that you don't want to do it to an extreme extent, presumably. Right. But you know, a community person being taken, the community might say, "Okay, fine. Should we? Should we not?" If God forbid, a million, trillion times, somebody's child were, God forbid, taken, mm-hmm. I would imagine there's no sum that anybody in this room would not pay to try to get that child Right, back. but what would happen if they, let's just play it out. What would happen if that, this is why this is so painful,
1: okay?
0: okay? How goofless, why it's so painful. What would happen if, that, if they did that and then we paid a, a gazillion dollars for it? And then what would they do? Kids. They'd do it again. More right. children would be in danger. So that, that's, why it's, that's why it's so complicated. But what, what if we said, we'll never pay anything, zero amounts. Well, there's a piquoch nefesh element here. So that's, that's, the, right? that's the, the rock and the hard place here in this situation. Chazal not saying, we said Chazal said this is the most important mitzvah there is to, to redeem captives. Yeah, but how far do you go? Right? And that's, that's exactly the push and pull in this conversation. Again, how do they determine where the, to draw the line is a good question. But but nevertheless, the point is that it's clearly a humongous myth, so the most important thing you could possibly do is redeem a captive. On the other hand, if it's taken to the extreme, it can endanger the community and can, and can undermine the entire community itself. So how do you balance? And by the way, we're going to see there are more exceptions to the rule. You're going to see in a second. Yeah. I think more common more recently, but there have been people that have said you know, if it happens to me, I don't want, I don't want the negotiation. Let's keep going. So let's, let's, so let's keep going. You see all, all these things are going happen right now. So here's a couple exceptions to the rule, okay? And this also tells you a little bit about what was happening in those times when they were, these captives were being taken. Says the Gemara's fellows, Tanarabana, Maiseb, Reb Yeshua ben Chanania, Shehalach LaKrach Gadol Sheberom, Reb Yeshua ben went to this big city in Rome. Amrilo, they said to him, Tinok, Echad, Yeshua Beisah Asurim, there's a child being held captive in the jail. You would have read this eight weeks ago. You'd say, "A child being held captive—disgusting! How that? i can't even imagine such a thing. Wild, right? Okay. There's a child being held captive. By the way, the Romans did this. Right? The Romans took children captive, as we know. We read the kinos about them taking children captive. Right? It's not the first time this ever happened to us. <laughs> The beautiful and he's handsome and he has beautiful hair. He went to the jail and he stood outside the window. Amar, he started the court of Pasuk in parak Perak Membez. the He starts the Pasuk. Why What's he starting the Pasuk for? He wants to see what he's gonna respond. Anna Oso Tinok Amr, the little child responds to him. Hello Hashem zuchatanu lo. If you didn't know those are the two halves of the same Pasuk, that's okay, You did I. But the, the two halves of the same Pasuk. And Yeshayahu Parak Membeis, We all need to learn more. The child, though, knew the pasuk by heart. Right? People like this. My grandfather, I used to be able to start a Pasuk and then Tanakh and he would finish the Pasuk. Right? It's beautiful. So this kid had that ability. You quoted any Pasuk in all of Tanakh and he would be able to finish the Pasuk. So, what he said, wow, this kid is going to be a big time chacham. And I swear on the Avoda in the Besa love. I'll spend all the money in the world to redeem this child. Amru, and they said, He did. He spent a lot of money to redeem this child. And it was soon enough, the child became a chacham and gave Psaq in, in, in Klai Yisrael. and who was his child? Rabbi Shmuel ben Alisha. Fine. So, good. The question is, why is the Gemara telling me the story? Well, this story seems to be problematic. Why is the story problematic? it suggests that certain people might be worth a lot more than oh, others. Okay, so, that, so that's why it's morally challenging for us, right? But just to, on a basic, basic level, what's the problem with this Gemara? He paid any amount. He just violated the Mishnah. The mission said you cannot pay more than what is normal for a uh, you know normal value for a for a, for, a, for a captive, and he did. Very Okay. Oh, that's okay. So, so you have to yeah. give an answer. Well, it's also a good. Topic. So future zamanah. Good. Very hard. So that's <laughs> good. So so the so the, so the, the question. So Tosis always. What does Tosis always do on the page? Their job is to say, "Hey, Gemara, there's another Gemara that sounds not like this, right?" That's what Tosis always does. Tosis always says, "Wait a second, right? If you're really holding and learning, so you can ask Tosis Kasha because you learned this Gemara and you know, right? So that's what Tosis does right here, right? Look at source number six. Tosis on our original Gemara. Right? When it asks the question about why you're not allowed to uh, you're not allowed to redeem Catholics for more than their value. It says <speaking in Hebrew> So how did he do that? <speaking in Hebrew> how did he do that? <speaking in Hebrew> uh, different. Why? If our concern is that we're destroying the community when we're paying so much money. Right? Well if this individual is going to be such an asset to the community then maybe then we're willing to Right, we're willing to pay pay more money. Fine. Yeah, it's a little it's a little like difficult. Like, oh, there's certain people worth more? More. That's, but this whole idea of making people worth more. It's very challenging, right? But the point being, presumably, the Chazal is telling us certain individuals have such an impact on community that they're willing that we would be willing to pay more for them. Inami, another reason. Isn't wasn't that what the initial clause was? Either scenario, not to pay not to pay more than the person's worth. Yes. So, so uh, is this completely consistent with that. So, so Jeff is saying it's not an, it's not an exception. It's part of the rule. Right? Either it's either it's an exception to the rule. No, wait, that is the, the rule. The rule is more than their value, and this person has a greater value. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. You could say one way. you could either call it an exception or say it's it's part of the rule itself. Good. What about a plain person? Does that mean that they're worth that, that much less? Like, who's, who's determining that value? Right? You said he, he looked like he might be a Talmud fucking right, picture the that he might he, he, he might be. Well he's clearly uh, he what probably he it was obvious it? to him, right, but yeah. What if you didn't what if it didn't turn out that way? It's a good question. Yeah. yeah, it's also. I mean, obviously the story is simplified, but it sounds like. And granted, Rabbi Yeshua ben Chanania was obviously a very important. He knew he talking was about talking about, right? He knew he knew what he was doing. But presumably. he made this decision. He and, made this decision, right? Yeah. He made this decision. Not, there's map, so there's a rule for the community: don't ransom so forth than the worth. Right. The individuals, you do what you want, Rabbi Yeshua or Rabbi Hanay, so, so you could, so oh so oh good go. So there's another answer. Taisa gives him an answer. Ina, me another another answer. Bishas churban abayis lo shayath lo Wait a second. What were we talking? About? What was the history there? This child was a Roman captive. Why? Because Rome had destroyed Yerushalayim. There was no Jewish settlement anywhere. The Jews were wandering around. What's the concern? Did he go back to Jewish communities and take more captives? There was no Jewish community. No Jewish community. So they weren't worried then because they had just taken 500,000 captives to Rome. So what were they worried about? They weren't worried about it. They, they, they were, either they had taken all the captives already or there was no community. That's not a possibility. Source number seven this is Tosis in the Gemara there about the kid, says, Ko love. Why was he taking this, saving this child? <laughs> this is a different story. The story of this child in Rome, it's not just because he's going to be a Tam It's a little different. The Gemara seems to like imply it's because he's a Tam But, but the way, maybe you read it differently and say, no, he knows what he could be in the future. Meaning, this child, I'm not going to let this child die, right? And maybe in earlier times, people were taken captive why to ransom them for money. They No one had an interest in killing the hostages. They didn't want to do that. They wanted to get money back. The Romans, they weren't selling. They, were, they presumably. The assumption is they weren't going to be selling this child. There was a very good likely chance that he was going to die, and therefore, in this case, was unique because if the, it's saknas nefasos, then everything we just said doesn't apply. So the Ramban doesn't like that. Source number 8 We do not try to read it inside for right now. Ramban basically says, that's ridiculous. Why? He says, every case of hostages is Sakhanas tefashas. Right? That's what the Ramban writes. Right? A shovel is someone who's in danger. So the Ramban says, come on, there's an exception for Sakhanas Tafashos? Every hostage is, 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 is Bichlal sakana. Every hostage is in a dangerous situation. So he doesn't like this. Nevertheless, the Yamashar Shlomo in source number nine, he does like this argument. And in fact, the Tos was also right that they do think that somebody, either a muflag b'chachma, a very, very big time or someone in imminent danger, these are both reasons why we would allow the redemption of captives. In source number nine, I'm not going to read it inside, but basically, he tells the story of the Marami Rutenberg. Marami Rutenberg was the Rebbe of many of the shown. I think I told the story not so long ago. Uh, somewhere. That he was uh, the Rebbe of many of the him, And he was, a, he was a Rav in, I believe, in, in Germany. And he was the head of the community. And the government uh, took him captive. And he said to them, it says he was taken to the tower in Eichsheim. I don't know what that is. Anyone know what that is? I don't know. That is. I don't know. Um, so he, uh, somewhere in Germany, I think. And he, uh, and he sent out a, le- a message to the community do not redeem me for any amount of money. And uh, the Amish Shalom, the Rishalom, says, I don't understand why he did that. He's a mufak B'chachma. Of course, you're going to save his life. So he says, I'll tell you why. The re- maybe the reason why he didn't allow himself to be, taken, to be redeemed because he knew that if they redeemed him, they would just take. The next Chacham, which was going to be, by the way, the Rush, who was next in line. The Rush was next in line. The Rush, instead, after, the, after he remember, died in prison, the, the Rush ran away. He left Germany. He ran to Italy. And the Rush has all these chubos he talks about. He had gone, let, gone from <clears> the <throat> land of Ashkenazim to the land of Svardim. And he talks about all these new men he never saw before. They're all in Italy. And what's interesting is that his son, Rabbi Yaakov, the tour is put in a unique position to do what he did, which was to take all of psaq of Ashkenazim and Sephardim and put them together and put them in one book called the Arbaturim. Why? Because he grew up in an Ashkenazi home and he was living in a Sephardic land. Right? So there's like this very fascinating Hashkacha practice that happens because the Marburg says no to leave it, to being redeemed. The, the Rush has the ability to run away and the Arbaturim, which becomes the predecessor of the Shulchan Aruch, happens there in Italy for that reason, very interesting. Fine. Anyways, the bottom line though is that it seems like the the, Akron, the Rishonim do agree that in situations where there is imminent danger, one could pay more money than the hostage is worth to save their life. So the point is that he said not redeem him, so they listened. No. So he, the point is that he said that, but the but the point is that the Yom Shalom says I don't get why he did that. It was mutter to redeem him. He's the Muflech B'Chacham. He's the, the, the Tam Chacham. So he's so he so he was concerned. He says he must have had a separate reason, a communal reason. He thought it'd be worse for the community. Meaning, the reason to save the Tam Chacham, says, is it's good for the community. But he's saying it's going to be bad for the community. So he paskin that way for himself. But otherwise, the point of Yom Shalom is saying that generally it would have been permissible. Fine. But take a look at source yet, number ten. To to them, to to yeah, that's what he took. He paskin. He was he was the, the rough. Yeah. So he paskin. So they were supposed to listen to him. Source number ten is a chuva that Rabbi Yosef wrote. At the time of Operation Thunderbolt, right after the uh, the hostages were taken to Entebbe, right. If you haven't seen the movie in a long time, you should see the movie again. It's very inspiring. Um, the and the Operation Thunderbolt run by Yoni Netanyahu, which freed I forget how many many over hundred hostages, one hundred twenty one. Okay, there you go, one hundred twenty one hostages. But Yoni Netanyahu himself was killed in that in that uh, in that raid, and the question became like. Again, Rivada asked answer the shout, like what would be if they wanted to redeem these people? If they wanted to pay for it, if they wanted to you're risking lives of soldiers for this. Like is that permissible? So he writes like this. Mikomakom, on the first line on the towards the end of the line, and in our case. poskim podin in source number ten. That in the Makum sakana you are allowed to spend more than the value of people, and no one disagrees. So, just by the way, stop there. Ravadi Yosef, who knows the entire Torah, Kol Torah Kula, all the posts. knows everything. Okay, we knew everything. So, if Ravadi says, "There's no one who disagrees." You no, know the answer is no one disagrees. Okay, so that's this number one. Ravadi says everyone agrees that if a case of selfhonestefashos, we would pay more than the value. We could do that. We would be allowed to do so. In our case also. Maybe you'd argue that what we're doing here in Entebbe was more than their value. Right? The, the risk that's being taken, the money that's being spent, etc. Because you might argue that if we're going to pay off the ransom, they're going to take more hostages. Right? They, were asking for, they were asking for prisoners to be redeemed to be set free. But the in this Mamish danger. Like in our case, the mamish, they were getting ready to kill them one at a time. We don't care. We don't care if they're going to take more hostages in the future. Fascinating. Why? Rabbi says, because you know what? They're going to do it as much as they can, anyways. They don't care. That's what they want to do. What they want to do is kill us and kidnap us and, 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 and torture us as much as they can. And to ruin the daily life of not yourself. that's what they want to do. That's what they're interested in. He understood and provided very well right, what the world is starting to learn about jihadism, which is that it's not about uh, if you give them enough money or you make them feel, uh, give them jobs or give them a good uh, you know, backyard, then they'll stop killing people. This is their, this is their goal. This is their religious you know, uh, determination that they will not be stopped. So, so says. So, what, what, we're not concerned in this situation so when we permitted or is required. Therefore, he said it was permitted to to uh, pay extra, to uh, to whatever extra bent in this case um, would be permitted because again, this Nafash is involved. He he. This other point he makes is a is a side point. By the way, it's not going to matter anyways. They're not going to do more because because we're going to redeem them. They're going to do whatever they can, no matter what. They they're bloodthirsty. That's what they that's who they are. There's a very interesting other tshuva with Yeshua Ehrenberg who wrote, it's also a modern day postic, who wrote that usually we have a rule, like let's say like, if it comes to like, uh, when there's a takana, right, chazal make a takana. This, this rule of not redeeming from more than X is a takana's chazal. It's not, it's not based on the apostle. It's not dindare. So, so he says, usually this, and this usually works in the opposite and we get frustrated. Like, you know, for example, so if I have a little headache on Shabbat, it's like, I can't take time unless I'm really no feel, I have to lie down, right? If, unless I'm like, I can't take a towel on Shabbos if I have a headache. Why? Because the of the Takana of, Chazal said, he can't make, do refu r- on Shabbos, Shema what? Maybe you're going to grind medicine on Shabbos. Grind medicine, we say, oh, yeah. who grinds medicine today? Nobody, who does that? Okay, but since it's a Takana, it's in place, even if the reason doesn't apply anymore, the, the Takana remains, right? So, said in Arabic, it's true in the opposite direction also. Chazal said, right, Chazal said, you're not allowed to pay more than a certain amount of money for prisoners or for, for hostages. What did Chazal never say? You can't exchange more prisoners than they ask for, than they usually ask for. Meaning, it's a money thing, not a prisoner thing. And so you argue, maybe the whole taqana doesn't apply to prisoner exchange. That you're allowed to, to release as many as you want. Meaning, just, just on a technical level, that the taqqana was never made in that scenario. And therefore, maybe that's another reason to be made. For. So certainly we see already this idea of this rule that, on the one hand, first of all, it's the most important mitzvah. There is pinyon shruya. nothing greater than pinyon shvuyim. On the other hand, we have maybe some type of, you know, uh, you know, boundary to how far you would go. But really, that boundary, according to sounds like according to Ravide, says all poskim is not really all that real when it's a case of sakanas which every case of those who are taking hostage today is for sure so it means that really sounds like you could pay any price right to get back to get back hostages okay but what about if the person is a captive soldier does that change things in any way so I want to show you uh, source number 12 source number 12 is a tshuva from Rav Shal Yisraeli who was a posseg who lived grew up in it was Rav in Slutsk and then came to Eretz Yisrael passed away in 1995 and he uh, he wrote a lot of chuvas on like modern day Israel questions. And uh, one of the questions he was asked was this type of question about redeeming captives and specifically uh, Israeli soldiers. And he says as follows, and he's quoting this Gemara that says the Gemara that we didn't that we just skipped over, The basically says that a person's if a person's own wife is held captive, so he's absolutely you know can pay way more than he's supposed to pay, because it's his personal responsibility. This is his wife, this is his spouse. And he writes like this Valpizanira, <coughs> Mabatzu. From this perspective, Yesh as Chovas Hamedina bePiyon and responsibility, right, to take care of those who were taken captive in war, Shkevan Sheila Yotsu LaMelchama BeShlichos Hamadina Mita Since these people go out to war as messengers of the the, the, the government. Beautiful language, no? To protect the nation that's living in Sion. There is a responsibility that is an unwritten expectation. It's understood. The government will do anything they can. Right in a situation where is a soldier is taken captive, since like if a soldier is injured, the, the government is responsible, right, to take care of their medical needs, etc. Like they have to be responsible for the families if a soldier falls in battle. It's the responsibility of the government to take care of every soldier who is taken captive. Rabbi, we, we had the opportunity, the first thing that I did that second day in Israel, we heard from Rabbi Doron Peretz. We haven't heard, you know, Rabbi Doron Peretz is the head of, of Mizrahi. Rabbi Beshevkin uh, interviewed him. It's a horrible story. He has two sons. He actually has three sons, I think, but two sons. One who was injured on October 7th and one who was taken captive. Both soldiers. He was taken out of, a, out, of a, out of a tank and taken into Gaza, and then it was time for his injured son. He got better. It was time for him to get married, and they he got he got married. So that is a, a wedding with one of the children still taken hostage, um, and he told he told the story that whenever we know this is true that families talk about this of soldiers. They, there's a guy. Uh, Rabbi Schechter talked about this the other night. That there's a guy who said, I don't want to be home in my house ever because I'm nervous I'm going to get that knock on the door. And the knock on the door is the, is the knock of, of soldiers coming to tell you that your son Khalid was, was killed. But they don't only really do that if the, if the soldier's killed. They do it also when they find out that a soldier's taken captive. And they came to his house. Um, and they, for every single hostage, there is a, a person from the government or from the army who is responsible for your family and is in touch with you every day. Every day. It's your person who is responsible, comes to visit, comes to the house, updates you with information. This is exactly what Rishali is talking about, the responsibility the government feels for every single one of these kids, and not kids, and adults, who've, who've been taken captive. That's responsibility of the government. So the point is, Richelle is really saying, is that when the person is a soldier, right, in a certain sense, it's even more responsibility. And it's not just, by the way, that because they went in. But what does that also mean? If we wouldn't do that, then what would happen to morale? Right? If we said, sorry, we can't pay extra for you, right? so what does that do to the morale of soldiers? If soldiers know that whatever, if someone's taken, we'll do whatever we can to get you out. Right? This is part of the, I'm sure part of the calculus right now for the government is, what if, what if soldiers are last online right now? Right? And what if they feel like the government gives up Right? The government gives up. So what's that going to do for morale for years to come? With the knowledge that when, gut, when, when, when soldiers are taken, so then you know, we, we, we give up. Of course they're not giving up, but it's so challenging because of how it impacts morale that way. And that's part of the calculus as well. That's, and that's in the other direction, right? for the, for the, uh, for the state. But, but somehow the way it's talked about in media and other places, it's almost like socially justified. Because right? they can defend themselves, their soldiers, soldiers, from, yeah, soldiers. A casualty of That's war. at least like normal. Right? That's at least like normal, right? Like you take soldiers, right? Exactly, yeah, correct. It's terrible. So Shechter, uh, in source number thirteen, talks about the case, a different case in nineteen seventy when the TWA flight was was taken uh, captive by I think it was also PLO uh, terrorists or whoever they were, uh, and they and they took them to Jordan, the right? and Rav Hutner was on one of the planes so Rav Hutner Huttner was on one of the planes um, and, and some people said we should spend as much money as we can to get Rav Huttner back and so if you look look at here he says it's like 10 11 lines in the bottom he says there's a samachdal and then a, and then a uh, a period. Mm-hmm. I money. wonder what they, like that conversation was like later when they met each other. <laughs> He's like, actually not so fast. has so they he said it's wrong. Why? Call, and watch this. This whole rule, he says, that you can spend more money if you have to, is only when it's not a war, when it's bashash shalom. You can't say no, stop the war. We'll pay the money. Why? You're helping. You're helping the enemy. Wow, this is not what's happening in our case, right? right? Give Iran six billion dollars and look what's going to happen, right? But the point being, if you stop, you have a ceasefire and you let them rearm and give them a chance to come out of their holes and take showers and feel better and, and get some food and fuel that they could steal from everybody. So like, it's, right? So, as he said, this whole, all bets are off in Milchamah, in which case, everything we just said is taken apart, yeah, right? Said nobody oh, good, good. Well, lives. Yeah, yeah, okay, fine. But, but, but he, so yet. not yet, <laughs> yeah, right. okay, but, they live around the same time. Fine, but, 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 Ravadia argues on this point and he makes the following point. He, there's a, the, uh, source number 14, right, is a, another Gemara yeah. that talks about the following case that you've, You've probably heard before every, like, you know, these, like, fun shilas that you hope will never be realistic. Uh, like, what happens if this used to be Holocaust shilas and now they can become, unfortunately, October 7th shilas. What happens if terrorists come in and they say, give us that one or give us one of you and then I'll, the rest of you will be saved? Can you give them one? No. No. What if they say, give us, I'm not going pull anybody. Give us him. Yes, you give him him. And then we'll save everybody. You can. You can. Why? Because they chose. Okay, so you can't, but the point of that, Kamara, is you're not allowed to choose one over the other. Who says your blood is redder than my blood, right? I can't decide to choose this person over that person. That's not allowed, right? So maybe you could argue, right, when I release, because our conversation is not about money. Our conversation is about releasing terrorists. So could you argue, wait a second, if I'm going to trade terrorists, for, even if it was one for one, Three for one. We don't value Palestinian life, right? Um, but the the I've gotten so not PC these days. So the so, so, uh, whatever. Um, so the some things are so bizarre that they don't they don't whatever. So um, even if you're um that's my train of thought. Even if, uh, so, so the point we're talking about trading terrorists, right? So you just say, wait a second, you're gonna save this person's life, what are you also doing? Yahya Sinwar was traded for Gilash Ali. We did. That was in the other direction. So who decides whose life is more valuable? Great question, right? So Vaya says we don't say that in this case. And we don't say that for three reasons. Okay? Reason number one is the Chazanish that says that this rule you don't have it in there. Sorry, you don't have it in time. That the Chazanish says that for um, it's only prohibited to endanger someone else's life to save another if the act you're doing is an act of cruelty, meaning I'm handing over the person to be killed. But if I'm doing by, if what, the act that I'm doing is by de- definition, an uh, act of hatsala, I'm saving somebody, I'm bringing someone out of prison, right, out of being, being held hostage. So you can't say that's like, put, now I'm putting someone else in danger. You are like, it's like grandma. It, it, maybe eventually it might happen, but it's not happening at that moment. At that moment, I'm saving someone's life. Right? That's number one. He makes another point also, um, which is that, um, and this is based on source number 15, which is the Node of Yehuda. The Noted Yehuda um, was asked a question about autopsies, and the argument, this is already in the 1700s, there a person that died from a certain illness, they didn't know what it was, and people were making the argument, we should do an <coughs> autopsy on this person. Now, autopsies in general, right, are forbidden. Right, it's a nivolum so You're not allowed to you treat the body after the person dies with respect. You don't cut the body, etc. So to do an autopsy, just stom. you're not allowed to do that. It's a certain situation. Someone's a big you know, big, you know, uh, it's a, it's a suspicious death and the government wants to do an autopsy and you have everybody fight against it, etc. But obviously sometimes it's necessary. But in situations where other, unless it's something that's really necessary, we don't, we don't allow So someone's arguing to him, to the Nodi Behuda, well, they should allow it because maybe you'll find out something about how this person died and it could le- lead to saving someone else's life later. So the says, yeah, but not really. Why? He says, first of all, there's no danger in front of us right now for some person that we know about. <coughs> the possibility that you're going to find something is minute. And to ar- if you argue that this is like pikuach nefesh, he says, then like, you could basically make the argument that anything is pikuach nefesh and it's too far removed to call that pikuach nefesh. So Revadia says, and that, that's true in this direction, it can be true in the other direction as well, meaning that if releasing a terrorist, right, is terrible, and has the possibility, right, and maybe even the eventuality, that they're going to return to terror, but in the end of the day, they're not doing it right now, and you know that, and therefore, um, you, don't, you wouldn't consider that like choosing one person over somebody else, and that's why he would allow it, uh, to, to release terrorists even, to save hostages. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, like, let's say, forgetting the question of, like, heart death or brain death, but let's say, let's say, just even, even organization after death, like, according to everybody, yes, that's not considered a nivolum because it has a constructive purpose, mm-hmm. correct, yeah, absolutely, the absolutely. They it's not that they'll be treated more poorly, it's that they might go get, they might do it more often. This is what it says like the escape, they might treat the other captives more strictly. What it say, then in, the, in this translation? Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, um, that's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's probably based on one of the farshim, but yeah, um, yeah, but anyway, yeah. Therefore, well, therefore, if you're going to then you know treat this as okay, well, we're not going to worry about what happens to future captives right. because of what trading in one right and this seems to contradict that. Right, that's true. That's true. I, 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 don't, yeah, I don't know what they're based on. That's, a, that's a, clearly a parish on this mission. I don't know. you yeah, have to see what that says. But, um, but the bottom line is like this. Is that th- there's no good answers here. There's no good answers here. Um, but I think what's interesting is you take the two concepts, right? The value, the it's supreme value of Pidyon Shuyun and how important it is. Right? And on the other hand, the, all the other concerns, the danger to society, the danger to future captives, the danger... To uh, you know, future scenarios that can happen later, um, the strain on a, on a community, etc., and and the, and the balance that we play off of each other, I think, is very, very challenging. Um, and at the same time, the not just the value of, sh- of redeeming captives, but what it does for morale for the for the soldiers, but really for the entire government, right? For the, the, sorry, the, the entire you know, civilization. All of are right now, now Israel. This question of captives is such a big question in terms of morale of the country, right? And how do you make that decision? I have no idea, right? How do you, there's so many pieces involved. Presumably, the, the, the government decided that it was worth that pause because they could still go get Hamas afterwards. They, the, the rearmament that was going to happen wasn't severe enough, and they probably were much, much less, idea, you know, felt much less that they had a chance to really go find where these people are. Um, and so they probably made a decision rather pause, get who we can get and we'll go back and get Yaya Sinwar afterwards anyways, which they're doing now anyways, hopefully. But like, they had to make a decision. But the point is that you, any decision in this way, you know, it's, a lot of the decisions do fall in line with the halakha because you, there's so much to do and, and what, do you, what do you, you know, uh, you know the, the calculations are so difficult and so painful and so hard. And I think that it, it, the, the challenge of this one question I think speaks to just how challenging the whole scenario is. But at the same time, I do think that it also speaks to the difference between us and them. And that is that we measure and we calculate every life and every second and every feeling and every, right? That's what we care about, right? We're going to measure and be careful and think and consider and worry rather than just going in right? and, and destroying lives. That's, that's what we do. And I think that we, we should be proud of that. Like Rabbi Shachter said the other night, they, they, they single us out and make us feel bad. We should single ourselves out and feel proud of who we are. And I think that's, that's what these, these halachos to me do. They make, they make me proud of who we are and proud of the way we approach life and proud of the way we approach the most challenging, hard, difficult, painful shaila, because we always, we always look at what the Torah tells us. We look for, the, for a place of morality in a world that has lost itself. And we remind ourselves, we look to the Torah, we look to the B'an Shalom and we find a way forward wherever we can. And uh, Bazar Shem, according should continue to show us a way forward, a way towards the tzachon, towards towards uh, success. Bazar Shem, Besaros <laughs> Tabas.